Hi, I'm Ruby. And I'm Cody. And, and this, this is the, the swirl. swirl. Hi, guys. <laughs> We're back. Hey, <Good> everyone. <laughs> hey, Cody. <laughs> hey, hey, Ruby. So, Ruby, I was, uh, I've been thinking about something for a while. I bought my friend earlier this summer for her birthday this bag called a Porto Vino. Have you heard of this? No. What is it? So it's it's like this portable tote bag for women. Okay. That has a compartment underneath the logo, this little hidden compartment that has a spigot for wine. Okay. It's a wait, it's a bag. Yeah. That you can carry it's what? like a canteen of wine uh, essentially. in her bag. So- so a few years ago, I went on a cruise, and there were people who I guess didn't pay on the cruise to bring alcohol. Mm-hmm. So they they snuck all these like Capri Sun pouches, these like really plastic bag flat flasks. I guess they are. Oh, because you don't want to pay for booze on yeah. the cruise. So I kept it's seeing expensive. people. I kept seeing people huddled in the corner during this cruise, like. Just pouring anything into their Cokes, because I guess you could get your soda for free. Okay. So this bag essentially has these uh, replaceable uh, plastic bags in the lining that okay. you can fill with wine. Now, I didn't understand maybe what I was doing when I gave my friend this gift. Yeah. Nor sort of the idea that these, you know, alcohol and, and something that's very, like, pervasive. Yes. But also... <laughs> But also what that sort of intimated. So I'm always kind of making the joke of like, you know what mama's like when she don't get her medicine in regards (laughs) to wine. But it's sort of this cultural thing that's happening. Yes. I share with you this article from this writer, Christy Coulter, from her blog, offdry.wordpress.com called Wine Immediately. And she details working through her sobriety. And she tells a story about a day where she tripped in her shoes and the mayhem that ensued. So she cracked her phone. She stained her knees. She, she messed up her favorite jeans. She scraped. Girl her was a hot mess at the farmers market. And who has not been there? We have all We've been, all there. been there. We've all been there. <laughs> and she also did what most of us would do. She posts to Facebook, and she's surprised by the immediate comments from three women. And it essentially, was wine immediately. And it's. Like, it's so funny how laughable and almost, like, stereotypical the the amount of wine-related jokes and memes and thoughts like these will come across on social media. Mm Mm-hmm. And she is someone who is coming, you know, sort of, like, coming to terms with her sobriety. And the idea that every female problem could just be solved by wine. Yeah. So what do you think about that? There are a lot of female problems. <laughs> well, the the thing that's interesting for me is I have not had alcohol since the beginning of June. The last drink I had was um, in New York City in Times Square uh, at Guy Fieri's restaurant. <laughs> so yes, my last alcoholic drink was in Flavortown. And so um, that was in June. It's September. And so I kind of have a weird perspective on this because I've kind of chosen sobriety. 
sobriety, um, you know, I've, I've given up alcohol. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I thought that it was really interesting. The, the way that the article was framed was that, um, being a woman is very difficult and we use wine as a band-aid to make ourselves feel better about the difficult things that we have to deal with as women in this world. And, um, I, I, I agree that it, that when you get rid of the alcohol, it does really open your eyes to how abrasive and how, um, how overwhelming, uh, the, the, the micro and macro aggressions are in this world and especially in Trump's America. <laughs> so, so I thought that was, it was an interesting way of looking at it as like the way that women, um, have kind of rallied around alcohol and drinking as this big social thing we do with each other to have safe space with each other to kind of like my mom calls it wine and wine, mm. um, where we can kind of just like bitch about the things that we have to endure in our lives. Um, and so I have to say that I relate to that though is, is it, it does feel like when you are no longer drinking, it feels overwhelming how much drinking is part of the social fabric of adulthood in America. So um, it's really interesting to watch people react to you when you tell them that you don't drink. Um, they start to feel like you're judging them. And I'm not. I don't care. I think whatever gets you through the night. I just know that booze is not a good choice for me right now. Mm-hmm. And, oh, um, and, and it also makes you have to deal with and confront the ugly truths of life without – uh, and trying to process it in a different way. Mm-hmm. Because booze is a way of processing what's happening to you or letting it go or getting rid of it. And now you have to process these things that happen to you on a daily basis without kind of like that decompression thing. Sure. And then like the other – I actually was thinking about this this week. I didn't feel like cooking dinner. I was like, ugh, I don't feel like cooking dinner. And you, it used to be that I would say, well, okay, I'll pour myself a glass of wine and I can enjoy a glass of wine while I cook and that will be my motivation mm-hmm. to get get it done. But not having that motivation, I have to like actually make myself do it. And so I'm trying really hard not to use things to reward myself as much, which is like my eating habits have changed. So I don't use food to reward myself. I don't booze to reward myself. And so it kind of creates this like place where I have to find the emotional reserves to just like fucking do it. And that's really hard because I often don't have the emotional reserves to just fucking do it. Sure. So um, it, that's, it's really, it's a really interesting article. Um, yeah. So it was interesting you were talking uh, just about people and their coping mechanism. And a lot of the conversation as you described was they described the author described wine as being a way that women decompress after a long day at the male dominated office. And I thought about uh, the TV show scandal, for instance, like a hallmark of scandal is Olivia Pope coming home after a long day of saving the world and pouring a dumpster sized glass of wine. (laughs) (laughs) And there is this conversation in the article about women being tanked and that the idea that, to be a modern urban woman means to be a big drinker. Uh, a lot of times alongside of like men. Um, yes. So they, there's a moment in the piece where they're talking about p- pounding back wine at a baby shower that honestly didn't sound too far from what a night at the bar with my boys might sound like. Uh, uh-huh. But the author says something um, along the lines of, is it really that hard being a first world woman? 
is it really so tough to have the career and the spouse and the pets and the herb garden and the core strengthening and the, oh, I just woke up like this makeup and the face injections and the Uber driver who might possibly be a rapist? Is it so hard to work 10 hours for your rightful 77% of a salary, walk past a drunk who invites you to suck his dick, and turn on the TV to hear the men who run this country talk about protecting you from the abortion regret by forcing you to grow children inside your body? I mean, what's the big deal? Who, who would want to soften the edges of this glorious reality? And it's a pretty striking... That's so real. It's, it's a pretty so striking uh, co- commentary, uh, particularly when you see how many women voted for Donald Trump. Um, now, right. <laughs> the author also sort of says uh, in regards to drinking, and Ruby, since you aren't drinking presently... Uh, when the author says, is there nothing so inherently absorbing or high stakes or pleasurable that we won't try to alter our natural response to it? And there's this funny, uh, the, again, the author makes the, all these really funny correlations that I hadn't thought about, where there's this thorough line in the piece where she's talking about paint and sips and cutlery skills and wine class and half marathon with a beer at the finish and tequila before Brazilian wax yeah, and, and yoga, like, beer, yoga. Like that about is the fact that wine is sort of like a, a pacifier. Um, and she's becoming disillusioned with this culture that treats women as less than. Uh, and she keeps talking about life on the other side. Uh, so you're sort of in that in that place right now. Do you feel like you have a, a better sense of clarity? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I really don't know. Um, I think that. I think that. Life is hard, right? So here's what I would say, because I'm kind of struggling right now mental health-wise. Like, I think I'm going through um, a period of depression, if I'm being honest. And I I feel like where I, where I sit on a whole, like on a macro level, is that life is really hard, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't matter who you are or what you're doing. Life is hard. And I think life is just hard in different ways for different people. And so you have to kind of decide using your own internal barometer moment to moment what's right for you. And so I try really hard not to judge other people's choices because I don't know what they're dealing with and it's not something that like I'm dealing with and they might be in a completely different place and on a different point in their path and that's not my place to judge. So I don't know. For me, I just think life has gotten harder in different ways. I think that drink, I think that I feel better physically because I don't have to deal with the physical repercussions and the brain fog of not, of drinking um, that happens and I don't miss that part. Mm-hmm. I also don't miss like the fact that alcohol sometimes makes you say or do things that maybe are not thoughtful or intentional. Um, but on the flip side of that, I do feel like I, I get myself to a point where I'm whipped into such a frenzy and I don't have a release valve and I need to figure out what my release valve is going to be for me because um, wine is really helpful at the end of the day to just kind of bring it down another notch and say, okay, well now the, the, the hard work of the day is over and now we're transitioning into relaxation and it becomes part of your ritual. So I need to get better about creating relaxation rituals that um, will help me relax because I kind of don't think – I've done a good job of replacing the ritual of drinking um, that kind of brings me to a place of peace. Sure. I, I could I could see that. Um... I do like the thing about being judgy, though, because I will say that um, it's a really weird social dynamic, especially – I mean, I don't know. I think, like, 
I think drinking is so pervasive in our culture that you interact with it um, on your going out with your guys or when you go out on dates or um, when you're networking with people, cocktail hour is part of networking. Um, I don't deal with that stuff so much. But when we go to like parent partings, parties or neighborhood parties or I've had people over to my house and I no longer have alcohol – like I don't have wine in my house sure. because my husband drinks beer and I don't drink – I don't drink. So I'm like, uh, if you want to drink, bring what you want to drink to my house because I don't have it anymore, which kind of makes me feel like I'm a bad hostess because the social pressure is to have yeah, wine or, you know what I mean? So, so but You but practically I, should be um, stirring the drink when they walk in. <laughs> right. And I don't have that anymore because I just don't want to have it around. Like, I don't need to have it around because I don't use it. So it's kind of, um, it is very interesting to kind of navigate social interactions that um, I used to be so easy because I feel like alcohol is often like the grease in the wheels that make social interactions go um, to now watch them from this like other place in it was like this weird objectivity thing. Um, and, but, and I, but I miss like the, I miss, there's certain things I miss about drinking. Like I miss the weight of the glass in my hand. I miss, um, that kind of like relief of like pouring the glass and being like, ah, now I'm going to have a drink. Mm. But, um, I don't miss the taste of it. I don't miss the way it made me feel. I don't miss any of that. So I kind of choose to remember that that's the important thing. Yeah. I, think, I don't I really know. Do think, <laughs> well, I really do think that it comes down to intention. I mean, if, if in the times that I'm drinking and it's centered around something celebratory, that's a completely different feeling than, oh my God, I just had the worst day. I need a drink. I never, I never like being in the, oh my God, I had a bad day. Let's get a drink place. I always want to be in the like, who got the new job? Like, and, and I don't, I, I don't want to drink unless I'm in that environment. Yeah. Well, I mean, but isn't it funny that, like, so much of the, 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 well, she brings it up in the art- article, right? It's like, every social interaction these days, the answer is alcohol. Like, oh my god, you're having a baby. Cheers. Right. Oh my gosh, you're getting married. You got a new job. You got a promotion. Oh, you had a really hard day. Cheers. Oh, you broke up with your boyfriend. Cheers. Like, it's kind of this, this all... Um, it's kind it's, it's become this answer to every question, which almost if, if, if it, if it's the answer to every question, then it's really the answer to no question because Mm. you're not being mindful and you're not being thoughtful about what you're doing. And I would say like one of the biggest hallmarks of American life is how little intention we give to our choices. It's how little we think about the repercussions about what we're doing. And that to me is is clear in the way that we consume things it's it, and i mean that both in food and drink but also like the way we spend our money um and and so i think that it's important that you the most important thing to me and this is not a judgment of, at all i'm not trying to be judgy at all is that when you are deciding to drink um you're making that choice willingly out of free will for yourself and you are making that choice for yourself and it's not an automatic thing because mm. i think it's just become an automatic response to so much of modern life and that's kind of scary because yeah. you're living your life without control and that's what was so interesting reading the article uh, definitely in the context of females was this idea that there's one point where she says maybe women are so busy faking it to be more like a man at work more like a porn star in bed, more like 30 at 50, 
that we don't trust our natural responses anymore. Maybe all that wine is an Instagram filter for our own lives so we don't see how sallow and cracked they become. And you really can't get to sort of the crux of what your emotions are, what you're feeling, how, you know, are am I being objective if you're in this, like, haze of booze. And that's, to me, that that part really hit me, you know, because I think... It's really scary to have to deal with the real, with the cracks and the sound. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like the icky parts of your life, um, and not have something that can Instagram filter it away. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I definitely see it in my friends. I've seen it in myself. And like I said, I'm still, I don't drink, but I'm still a hot, hot mess. <laughs> um, and I think it's really scary and hard to deal with sometimes when we're not, um, feeling our best, um, and, and trying trying our best to kind of fake it till we make it, which is, I think, such an, a big part of, you know, a, I think of all womanhood for sure, but I think um, middle-class, uh, suburban, like, picket-fence womanhood especially, it's really hard to keep that up um, and not be – uh, and not be tired and worn out by it. Modern womanhood is exhausting. <laughs> well, uh, my takeaway from the article definitely was that you have to feel your feelings and not to be, uh, and and not and to not be afraid to feel your feelings. So, kudos to Christy Coulter. Her blog is at offdry.wordpress.com. We'll be back in just a moment with this week's here for it. So we can feel our feelings together. <laughs> trying to (laughs) we'll be back in just a moment (laughs) we're back and we're about to find out what cody is here for this week hey cody what is stirring your pot this week well there's lots of times in the office space where i'm wondering if i'm the only person that's feeling the way that i do and obviously there are tons of tv shows like the office or i'm sure parks and recreation or all these other sort of uh, workplace situation shows where you get to see that you are not the only person who deals with foolishness on a day-to-day basis. <laughs> that being said, I would not be the kind of person who's coming home at 8 p.m. to watch a rehash of what I just went through at 9 a.m., but to each right. their own. <laughs> right. Uh, I came across a really fun article from BoardPanda.com where people share their best work clapbacks and they're <gasps> hilariously passive-aggressive. I love this. I love this. <laughs> uh, so the, there's a DC-based writer and marketing, marketing consultant named Danielle Renee, who's known on Twitter as at DRenee underscore, uh, who recently asked people to share their favorite professional clapbacks after tweeting her own go-to comeback phrase for her problematic colleagues. So clearly, people were all about this life, and they flocked to share uh, gifts included. So, uh, for oh, one person, there were gifts. There were, there were gifts? gifts. Oh, they I missed the gifts. gifts. Oh my gosh, I love yeah. gifts. <laughs> so, <laughs> one person's favorite phrase to use in a professional clapback is, "quote per my last email." <laughs> that is one of my favorites. That's yes. one of my favorites. Uh, another person said, "I'm also a fan of laying out all the facts of where they have me confused and ending with please advise." <laughs> I love please advise also. That is definitely in the Ruby toolkit of passive aggressive office communication. <laughs> Millionaire LaFleur says attaching emails to emails. Your coworker was furiously typing a few minutes ago and now it's, oh, I must have missed this. And all you want to do is reply, shut up, Jan. 
<laughs> Could you even imagine if we if we like pulled down the the veneer of politeness in the office and really like said what we wanted to say? Oh my like, gosh. Could you just shut the fuck up, Brian? (laughs) But they're always, much much like Bless Your Heart, they're so intimated in the messages already. So, uh, Feminista Jones, I know you follow her. Uh She she added, going forward, I will prefer that you... Now, that to me already lets you know... Uh Oh yeah, no, no. That's that's <laughs> that is like hide <laughs> under your desk serious. That's like that's scary yes. when someone sends that shit to you. Oh, for sure. Um or Honeydrop who wrote reattached for your convenience. Now you know that. Uh-huh. <laughs> when you drop convenience, you know, like at your earliest convenience. Yes. Like, oh yeah, no, that is some serious like aggressive uh office emailing right there. Mm-mm. And then, naturally, um, this guy, Charles, gave us a scale, which means a lot to me. So he says that kind regards equal default. (laughs) Regards equal, I'm pissed off and I want you to know. While warm regards means, I will end you and you won't know it was me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, Cody, I'm signing all of our emails to each other from now on with warm, warmest regards. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so there are tons more where these come from. I We will post the link on our Swirl Facebook page. So amazing. I love that so much. <laughs> <laughs> so good. That's amazing. <laughs> what about you, Ruby? What are you here for this week? Well, I am here for the um, a new cookbook that came out. It's called Brave Tart by Stella Parks. Stella Parks is known online. Her food blog is called The Brave Tart. Um, she just released this beautiful cookbook. It came out um, a few weeks ago. What happens when you take an obsessive nerd, add a deep love of American junk food, and make her into a pastry chef? You get my friend, Stella Parks. Have I ever met Stella? Nope. But over the past six or seven years, we have become very close friends on Twitter. When I first encountered her, she was a celebrated pastry chef in Lexington, Kentucky, and was named one of America's best new pastry chefs by Food & Wine magazine. She is well known for her from-scratch American treats, like homemade oatmeal cream pies, which if you don't know, were a staple of my diet for years. and eat (laughs) I love those things, and her homemade ones are ridiculous. And she's really famous for making handmade sprinkles. Her food blog, Brave Tart, which which is filled with beautiful and delicious handmade treats, helped her land a book deal a few years back, and in the time between then and her recent published date, she'd been she's been refining every recipe until it was perfect. In fact, I was one of the home bakers Stella used to test out her recipes. She even sent me brownies made with varying levels of cocoa powder asking me for my thoughts. The winners can be found on page 56 for the Glossy Top Brownies. Make them. They are to die for. Each recipe also includes a well-researched history of the origins and evolution of each treat. This book is food nerd heaven. So this week, I am here for my beautiful, hardworking, talented friend and her gorgeous, informative, and delicious cookbook called Brave Tart. So congratulations, Stella. The book is amazing. I cannot wait to make some of these treats. My mouth was watering the whole time. (laughs) I was paging through it. So you guys got to get it. It's such a great um, cookbook, and Stella is an expert. You got to check her out. Well, congratulations, Stella. And uh, we'll be back in just a moment with this week's Q&A.
And we're back with this week's Q&A. Hey. And it is Ruby's pick. So, Ruby, what's going on? Oh, man. I'm... This is... Yeah. Okay. Are you ready? I think you're ready. <laughs> Dear Cody and Ruby, I recently met a man who is completely enchanting. He is smart, funny, has a great job, is generous and caring. We have spent a lot of time together recently, and the hours seem to fly by as we talk about everything. The only problem is, he's overweight, and I am not completely physically attracted to him. This is the only thing stopping me from transitioning a beautiful from a beautiful friendship into something more. Am I crazy? Part of me thinks we should just stay good friends, but the other part of me thinks I would mi- be missing out on a great relationship. What if I pursue it and then don't become more attracted? I would hate to hurt his feelings or lose his friendship. Help. Signed, Heavy Heart. So she met a man who has become a friend of hers, and they spend a lot of time together, and it's super awesome and great. But he's overweight, and she's not completely physically attracted to him. And she thinks there's a deep emotional connection, and it could be potential real relationship, but she's not sure that she's going to become more physically attracted. And if she, mm-hmm. if they cross the line into a um, romantic relationship, she's really worried that if she doesn't become more physically attracted to him, she's going to lose this wonderful friend that she has. So here's the thing. Um, <laughs> back in my day, I would pray that someone could look past my weight and see me for my personality and my sense of humor and my heart and my spirit. And it always came down to your great butt. Mm-hmm. And that's because people have their, uh, their level of attraction. They have their wishes and their desires. But women seem to do this thing where they don't want to acknowledge that. They kind of want to keep like their options open. Yes. Yes. Just in case. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I heard everything I need to know to know that you don't want to bang this person. And yeah, you might spoon with him. Maybe you might give him a reach around. But as far as the actual like relationship and the full throated uh, commitment that this person would want. Full throated, huh? Full throated is where you're going with that one. (laughs) My mind's always on stepping to the mic. No, you're right, though. That's, uh, yeah. yeah. Like, it's just not, like, who is that, who is that serving? So who, uh, aside from maybe her ego. Right. Of having somebody around that she, that enjoys her and she enjoys and she likes being, you know, like, feel like she likes feeling like she's attractive or wanted, but it's not, it's not for the both of them. Right. And you're, you're robbing yourself of the wonderful experience of having um, a great sexual desire for somebody. Like that's hot to have, you deserve that kind of attraction to your lover and you shouldn't, you shouldn't rob yourself of that experience. Yeah. Um, And truth be told, he might have a tongue like, uh, what's, what's that? Cake mixer? I don't know. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> like a KitchenAid? <laughs> yeah, he might. Whenever I hear, whenever I hear that like food processor go, and it sounds like it's r- rumbling oh the whole. Oh my house. gosh, you guys! 
that's what he might have a tongue like. But no. Right, but if you're not physically attracted to that he's person. He's got an extra roll, so I can't see through it. No, well, I'm just right, saying. Right, no, but but if you're, but like even, but the weight, to me, the weight is like not, the the important thing is like if you're not physically attracted to somebody, bar none. It's a none, Right. Like, you don't what, – what are you doing? And then the other thing is I feel like it's really shitty that society and the way things, like, go in this universe makes us feel like we can't just be friends with guys. Like, why can't he just be your friend? Like, why are you torturing yourself over not being physically attracted to him? Like, to me, that's where – that's, like, the entree into a relationship. If I'm not physically attracted to you, whether you're a man or woman, like, we're – it's not – it's not going to work. Like, that's a sign, you know? Like, yeah. the whole – physicality thing is is the biology of a relationship it's the very foundation of attraction um and so just be this person's friend why do you have to torment yourself over it um it, that sounds kind of crazy to me that you would make yourself feel insane about something you've already told us the answer that you don't feel attracted to this person so don't have a relationship with them and Duh. also and also be honest about that being the, the place that you're at that whole like, well, maybe one day it it's dishonest. Like, it is, I, and, and I, hate, yeah. I, hate, I hate to say it in that in that manner, but it's it's not real, <laughs> and it and it really is only serving because I'm assuming that you don't want to have a an awkward encounter. But right, but you know, we're we're talking about earlier being being honest. That's one of those things you you have to do. This isn't for me. Right. And when you're fishing, you don't drag a fish behind the boat. You either cut it loose or you reel it in, baby. So it make is. your choice. <laughs> well, well, Ruby, damn it, you said it. <laughs> I don't know what I'm it. just making like fishing metaphors and shit up in this podcast. <laughs> that was as real as it gets. You're let, welcome, let dear listeners. The, let me off the goddamn hook. That's all. I, if you're not about it. Not right, it. right, you know and that people, serves both you know of you. People, I I spent following behind like a like a puppy dog because yeah. they were just like, oh, you know, you're just so special to me, and yeah, and that's to and, me that's hurtful. Yeah, that's harmful. When we're 35, we'll get married. And you're just like, right, okay. And you just yeah. follow around because you just go well this. One day, this person, we're go- I'm going to be the best friends of this person, and one day they'll see that we're meant to be more than just friends. No. Right. I'm all no. about, like, if you have, there's, here's the thing, too. It's like, if you have to force something, it's not, it's not real. Like, the, the best things in life, the good things in life are not forced. They're the stuff that just happens. And, uh, that doesn't mean you don't have to work in that once it's started, but you shouldn't have to force the start. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Ain't that the truth? <sighs> I'm gonna try to clean myself up here, and then and not that I made a mess or anybody stepped to the mic, but I'm just gonna try to make myself more presentable so I can read to you this week's good word. Ah, oh, he's gonna take us to church. <laughs> we'll be right back. We'll be back. And we're back. And Ruby, it's time for the what? It's the good word, and I love, I think I love it more when you have the good word than when I do, because it's like this, like, delicious cherry on top of the episode, and I get to enjoy your wisdom, because you are so much more wise than no, I am, Cody. So lay it on me, Let, let's let's help me with my personal development here. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't see me running around D.C. last weekend. Uh, <laughs> Hot Mess Express! Hot Mess Express! Shenanigans. Um... 
This week's good work comes from Robert Anthony, who says, Forget about all the reasons why something may not work. You only need to find one good reason why it will. I don't know about you, but there are so many times in my life where I will make my list of why and why not, and uh-huh. the side of things that it ends up looking so lopsided that you can start to convince yourself that it's not worth proceeding mm-hmm. or exploring, but really, we're all just one yes away from a whole life change. I believe so that. You have, keep, I believe- you have to keep that, keep that in mind and keep that faith. That's awesome. I I needed that really badly because I've been listening to the voice in my head that tells me no, and I need to start focusing on the other voice, tune into the other voice, and make it louder. So that's awesome. Thank you, Cody. Oh well, thank you, Ruby, and everybody. Uh, we appreciate you listening. Uh, special thank you to Tim and Justine for helping out with the social media. And you guys know the deal. The party doesn't end. It just relocates. Woo-hoo! We'll see you soon, everybody. Bye, guys.